Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Don Jeffries. We spoke back in October 21, 2021, about a subject I was really interested in. I was delighted we talked about it. The title of that talk is author Don Jeffries talks about Maverick politician, Huey the Kingfish Long. But today we're going to talk. I followed up with him about a book he's just published uh, back in 20, late 2021. title of that book is On Borrowed Fame, Money, Mysteries, and Corruption in the Entertainment World. And it's a very, very thoroughly researched book and kind of a, a tough look at some of the lives of people in Hollywood. But I'm going to go through a list of his books. Um, the other one, some of the other titles are The Unreals, 2015, Hidden History, and Exposé of Modern Crimes, Conspiracies, and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 2017, as well as Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All, 2017, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, published 2019, forward by Ron Paul, and then in 2020, Bullyocracy, How the Social Hierarchy Enables Bullies to Rule Schools, Workplaces, in society at large. And um, he also operates the Donald Jeffries Show from 6 to 8 p.m. Wednesday, live on Achelli.com. And also, I think he's also on Truth Frequency. And the, the intro or foreword to this book was written by somebody I'm familiar with. His name is John Barbour. And uh, Don is good friends with him, so he can talk more about that. So Don Jeffries, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being through the interview. Oh, it's good to be back, William. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book. And for people maybe who didn't hear our last show, maybe you can talk about some of your other books and what led you to put together this one on Borrowed Fame. Well, I, you know, my my main, uh, my wheelhouse issue is the JFK assassination and uh, political corruption is uh, what I know best and uh, history, you know, hidden history. So my two books on hidden history are by far my most successful uh, and in fact, I'm working on Hidden History 3 now, and I'll probably have a Hidden History 4 as well because I've got a lot of material. But that's my <clears throat> my main baby. But I have lots of other interests. You know, I'm, I consider myself primarily a novelist. I've only had, my first book was The Unreals, which is a science, science fiction, but I have a couple other novels that I think are the best things I've written, and I can't get them published. I had much more success with uh, nonfiction. So I'm going, uh, you know, going where I can I can go to get to get it out there. A Hidden History, again, was very, very successful. It's by far my, my best-selling book. Uh, Survival of the Riches, I wrote about economics, uh, disparity of wealth, and you mentioned Huey Long. It has a whole chapter there on him. So it's a bit of a departure for me. It's it's pretty far left wing, but uh, the left hates it, you know, because I talk about immigration. So uh, it didn't really get the audience to chit out because of that. And uh, bullyocracy about bullying in schools uh, yeah, the people that have read it love it. I got lots of feedback from it. But again, people, because we are run by a bulliocracy and there's a lot of that there and it's tied into sociopathic behavior that at the top of every uh, profession that pays well and has respect, uh, unfortunately, our society doesn't want to admit that it likes the bullies much more than it likes the victims. And uh, that's just a fact. And, that's uh, a fact. I was in corporate yeah. America for decades. It's brutal, man. It's worse than high school in some ways. Yes, sorry, it is. It is, and it's and that's and I point out I have a whole section in that book on uh, celebrities and well-known figures, uh, what that you know, what they were like in high school, and it's unbelievable. I mean, the vast majority of them were uh, you know were were 
big men on campus were jocks, were uh, uh, prom queens, uh, cheerleaders, tons and tons of cheerleaders. I mean, you would not believe some of the people that were cheerleaders. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was her high school homecoming queen. Uh, Woody Allen was actually a great high school athlete. He played baseball and basketball. So it's way more than what you think. And uh, it's, you know, you do obviously have people like Bill Gates. You have your nerds that succeed. But um, by far, the popular people in the high school, and every statistic shows that the more popular you are in high school, the more successful you are in life, uh, regardless of any fantasies to the contrary. So, but that one is really, it's probably sold less than any of my books because people just, uh, other than the people who were bullied relentlessly, they have an entrance, most of them. The rest of the people don't, they don't want to go there because it shatters their illusions. And then they have to realize that uh, it's, it's different from like political corruption, but it's tied in that way because it is corruption. And uh, they don't want to look at the way our society is structured when, in fact, all almost everyone admires the people who have those bullying qualities and they don't admire the people that have the big. I agree with that for sure. And so that led you to kind of move over kind of to this one, focusing on the entertainment. Yeah. Role, then, right? Yeah. Well, and this is, uh, I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a trivia junkie. I always used to be the kind of guy, I mean, I could write a book about sports the same way. I mean, I know these things, my head, I always used to say my head was filled to the brim with things that could would guarantee not make me any money. But you know, but I'd win trivia contests all the time and win a trivial pursuit. Just my I just know things and uh, I know about movies. Uh, I know the history of movies. I you know I'm a genuine expert on it. I know about old television. Uh, I know a lot about music. And uh, so you know it was natural to me to be drawn to this and I uh, I started out by feeling um, I wanted to have a book just about uh, the way entertainers were underpaid in terms of royalties and residuals because I knew they would. I actually started the book way back in like 2010, 2008 maybe. When I started writing to these people, and I, you know, a lot of them got back to me. They all told the same story, but I just, I said, I don't know if there's a book there, so I dropped it. And then after I had several of the books published, I came back to it and said, you know, maybe I can turn this into just a, a, a you know, a look at the entertainment world, not just the money, but although a lot of it. I do have a lot in there about the financial disparity and how some people do so much better than others for mysterious reasons. But um, also I investigated a lot to the unnatural deaths and there's, there's, you know, I write about body counts all the time in my hidden history books and uh, not just the Clinton body count, there's tons of them out there, but the Hollywood body count, the entertainment world body count is as impressive as any. And uh, this is the only other industry where you see these incredible numbers of unnatural deaths. And nobody questions it because they've heard it all before and they just figure that's just part of the industry. Nobody questions why so many entertainers die at a young age, allegedly of drugs. And then you peel the layers back in the case of people like Freddie Prinze and then Don Bellucci. And you find out, lo and behold, they actually, you know, they were really obsessed with the JFK assassination. Could that have been do with that? <laughs> and, uh, so that's, I look at those kinds of things. And so I, I you know, I investigate uh, Marilyn Monroe, Lana Wood. I mean, Right. You talked to a lot history. of those people. You like you were reaching out to them through social yes. media, following up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mentioned Lana Wood because she's uh, she was an actress as well, and in Playboy and uh, James Bond girl, and uh, she's become my friend. And I've had her. I've interviewed her twice now, and uh, she obviously believes that Natalie was uh, death wasn't an accident. So 
those kinds of things. Marilyn Monroe, I've written a lot about that, and Elvis Presley, and in uh, all all these big deaths. But uh, there's more there than meets the eye. George Superman Reeves, there's tons of them. So the, the book has a lot of that in there. Death in the entertainment industry has a lot on financial aspects. And then I, I also go into an overview of what fame is. What does it mean? In the last chapter, I really go into that. And I, uh, I examine, you know, people that were before you had celebrities, you didn't have television or movies, but the stage is where you had your celebrities. People don't know that John Wilkes Booth was a matinee idol. He was uh, the, a, a modern historian has compared him to Brad Pitt. But John Wilkes Booth is probably the only actor. Again, all these people were really famous in their day from the 1800s who we remember today. And we only remember him because of the Lincoln assassination. So I look at that, how, how quickly fame disappears. People that were the most famous people in the country uh, 200 years ago, nobody knows who they are now. And I even go into like... Uh, <clears throat> A lot of actresses from as recently as the 80s, even the 90s, but certainly the 80s. Or are you looking, what happened? People forgotten completely about them. And that's not that long ago. So uh, fame has a short life shelf. And uh, so I, a lot of it is that. What does it mean to be famous? And so it's just kind of all, all came together in what I hope is a uh, an entertaining act. No, it's very fascinating because you get into a lot of details about people and to talk about, you know a lot about kind of the old elements of the industry, things yeah. that I, people I don't remember about, like Spanky McFarland. Yeah, yeah. And some of these guys just had super famous, but never got a slice of the pie. They just got work. There's a long, that is a almost an encyclopedia of people who went through the entertainment industry and just came out with nothing. Yeah, well, Spanky, Spanky McFarland is what inspired me to, to write the book. He was the first one because I was a huge Little Rascal fan. I love our gang. He was my favorite one. And I just happened to see him. I was pretty young at the time. I happened to see him on a talk show, and he was an old man. Well, he wasn't that old, but near his death. And uh, he uh, was very bitter at, about you know how his name and likeness had been appropriated. And uh, at the time, my wife and I just were newlyweds, and there was a townhouse around the corner. I mean, uh, a restaurant around the corner from our townhouse that we could walk to called Spanky Clubhouse. And, of course, it had the obvious image of, the, of our gang on there. And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder, you know, how many other things are like this? And, you know, I, I talk about it in the book where Spanky supposedly broke down in tears the first time he went to New York City and he saw all the, the likenesses and the memorabilia and stuff that, uh, you know, were being sold in his name. And it wasn't just him, but it just hit home with me there. And I, you know, I go back to people like I had to tell the anecdote in the book about all of, of, of Laurel and Hardy, another hugely successful act of Hal Roaches, you know, and Hal Roach outlived all these people. He lived to be a hundred, fabulously wealthy. And he outlived almost all his little rascals, but he, uh, he had reason to be upbeat, but uh, he exploited them like a lot of the producers did. And, you know, I'll, uh, Laurel and Hardy are legendary figures. And uh, they're, I tell the story, I think they were in France and they were just on vacation together and they went into a gift shop. They saw these uh, Laurel and Hardy figures. And they just bought them for Luke's price to give his gifts. They did. They did, didn't even think really about, you know, am I get? Why aren't we getting a cut of this? Because Hal Roach sure was. And that's my point. I think is that whether it's um, people that you know, like my friend Susan Olson and Cindy Brady on the Brady Bunch. She's. You know, I've met a lot of these people. She's become a really good friend of mine. It's going to be on my show tomorrow again. I've interviewed her several times. She's interviewed me, but um, people like her who were on shows that people still watch today, 
And there, in many ways, we feel like, wow, these are iconic figures, you know, it's, it's fictional figures. But a lot of them don't, don't do much else in the business for whatever reason. She's reminded me many times, you know, it's not all just because they can't get jobs, but a lot of times it is. And they didn't, they get paid okay for the time, it's, but they don't get any royalties and residuals, but you can guarantee that Sherwood Schwartz or whoever the producer of the other shows are, they got a lot of money. And that, that's what infuriates me is that, you know, why do the people, the producers uh, who, you know, who put the product out there, admittedly, but why don't the actual actors, the people, that nobody's watching Sherwood Schwartz. You know, they're watching the Brady kids, they're watching Andy Griffith and, you know, Barney Fife and people like that. But they they didn't get anything for the most part. And, uh, you know, the Three Stooges, when they were older, and I talked to Mo Howard's uh, daughter and son both, and I talked to Curly Howard, uh, Curly's uh, great-grandson. It was Curly G. He's trying, he's still got an act, and he's trying to, he's on the peripheries of trying to break into something. But, you know, he's he's out there, and nobody really knows who he is. But that's, um, and maybe if he had a, a fortune from the Three Stooges, which logically he should have had something to inherit, but they didn't get, I remember, you know, as a kid watching them when I first realized that, that you know, Curly, my favorite, was long dead. And, uh, you know, and uh, Mo and, and Larry, I saw them on a commercial for a local station and they're you know, really elderly people and they were hawking t-shirts. And I just, even at the time, I just remember being sad about that because, again, Three Stooges, these are iconic cultural figures, whatever, you know, at least among males. I don't know too many female fans of the Three Stooges, but pretty much every male laughs at them. And, uh, you know, for, they had to have made a lot of money for Columbia. And that, again, when they when they sold those rights to TV along with uh, the Little Rascals and other, other, uh, other things that I watched as a kid later, uh, it's it's just I think unconscionable that those people, the performers, got nothing when they made lot millions for the producers, and that's you know that's probably the main thesis of the book why so many people get ripped off, and especially the artists themselves, and certainly in bands we see, you know, I talk to tons and tons of people that not, not tons but lots of people that sold millions of records in the 1960s, especially and. Uh, Many of them saw no royalties. They said, what royalties? So, you know. Right. It's they, incredible. You mentioned Marvin Gaye. Like, I yeah. figured that he would have lived in a palatial house with the success of his music. He yeah. had to move back in with his dad. It's incredible. Yeah. Who ended up killing him. <laughs> you know, in another twist that shows how, how sad Hollywood is. Yeah. Um, how sad the entertainment world is. Yeah, it's Marvin Gaye did. He, and uh, he certainly wasn't the only one. I mean. Mickey Rooney, you know, it was in, in, in the business for uh, probably 80 years because he lived to be 90. He had actor. Um, died with $18,000 to his name. Now, of course, he did have a bunch of ex-wives, so that, that certainly played into it, but still. And, uh, you know, Hedy Lamar died broke. Why? She was a genius and, and very good. Um, I see Leslie H's three students every Saturday morning say, yeah, and that's that's what we saw, but we saw these uh, as, as baby boomers, or I was on the younger edge of the, the later edge of the baby boomer era. But yeah, that that was what uh, you know they showed old Tarzan movies. Uh, they showed uh, the East Side Kids, and you know, which I don't know how it works, but I, I have found I love the East Side Kids. But Leo Gorsi and Hans Hall, so I want I want to say good, th you know, some positive things here and there. 
for whatever reason, they came out ahead. Somehow they had a cut of their pictures. I, I don't know how that worked because by any standard, they weren't as successful as like Laurel Hardy or the Three Stooges or our gang, but they did. So they did well. And that's, that's what fascinates me about the industry is that um, so many the disparity you know the difference why you know why how does betty davis for instance die with a, mil, a slightly under a million dollar estate very modest for someone who was in as many movies as she was or step and fetch it who is you know the, the racial caricature of all racial caricatures and was never in that many movies or any kind of star he died with 10 million dollars i don't know how you explain that but it fascinates me, and I just put the figures out there for people, and um, they can figure it out. You know, you, one of my favorites, Jackson Brown, I think he has $12 million, uh, which is good, obviously. How does Lulu, who is a one-hit wonder with two sir with love, how does she have $30 million? And that's that, And that's what, you know, those are the kind of comparisons I make, and uh, hopefully other people will be interested in it as well. But it, that, that kind of thing fascinates me because, you know, I wrote Survival of the Richest because I'm interested in fairness and have a keen sense of unfairness. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I take it personally when I see these people getting ripped off. And so most of them, it seems. Most of them seem to be ripped off. And you don't, I mean, the guys who make all the money, they're making extraordinarily huge sums. Like off Absolutely. of Marvin Gaye, yeah. millions and millions of tens of millions of dollars. Huge, huge sums. Absolutely. And you talk yep. about the civil, the California Celebrities Rights Act, like they had to pass laws to try to set things straight or right for a lot of these people. And there's a lot of like, at least now I live in LA, there's like, they've established old folks home for actors who get ripped off or don't make enough money. So yes. there's, it's, there, there is a consciousness of that, uh, you know. Well, it was, it was, they, yeah, they actually built the, uh, the motion picture, uh, the motion picture and television. I think they had a motion picture and television country home and hospital. Uh, and it's, I have a list there of just some of the actors who ended their days there. And it's, it's astounding because obviously those people needed a place to stay. And maybe a lot of them, because a lot of the golden age actresses especially didn't have children. It's another strange phenomenon. Uh, so some of them didn't have families, but some did. And, uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, Johnny Weissmiller, I mentioned of Tarzan, he ended his days there. You know, it, it, it's kind of cool to look at. He used to, you know, uh, I guess amuse or annoy the nurses with his uh, Tarzan yell at the home, you know. And uh, so you, you hear things like that. But, I mean, I, people can look in the book and see the list, but it's a, it's a huge uh, number of people that, that ended their days there, you know, not in – not at home with family or anything like that. So it's, uh, you know, and I'm assuming it's because they didn't have the insurance maybe in a hospital and they, they went there instead. Right. I mean, it's, it's uh, like I said, there's huge disparity in uh, the success and kind of sadness of some of these other people who got used or, or got set aside. Like some of the money, like the guy from Napoleon Dynamite, you said only made $1,000. And that movie yeah. is <laughs> still famous. You know, they're probably still selling residuals from right. shirts and everything from that old movie. It is. Well, I mean, I, I actually talked to a member of the cast who's my friend uh, on, on Facebook and she played uh, Ellen Dubin. She played uh, Uncle Rico's girlfriend. She didn't have a big role, but she said, you know, nobody was paid. So I, it was a very small budget film. I think it surprised everyone that it was a hit. So uh, and that really wasn't as bad as egregious as Bela Lugosi. 
you know, getting $3,500 for Dracula, you know, which is ridiculous. But, uh, and unfortunately for somebody like Bela, he set the tone and he let it be known that he could be taken advantage of. And boy, was he was taken to the cleaners by the studio after that. He right. made very little money for considering what kind of a big star he was. And his son became a lawyer, right? And tried to uh, yeah. re rewrite the balance, right? Yeah, I talked to his son years ago. Yeah, and he uh, he ended up yeah winning uh, you know some right for uh, the heirs of the Three Stooges and other acts, not just Bela. But uh, so I mean, there's been some victories, and certainly the, the people today. Uh, not now, ironically, the music business is worse today. Uh, the music business is uh, uh, you know as, as uh, Graham Parker who. Became a good friend of mine. You know, I loved him. You know, he's part of the soundtrack of my youth. You know, he wasn't a huge artist, but he was big to me. Kind of Elvis Costello light. I love the guy, and uh, you know, I, I communicate with him regularly. And he told me, you know, that there was a, a lot of business. Music was money was everywhere. You know, in the, like the late seventies and, and through most of the eighties, and that's kind of what Mick Jagger said. Mick Jagger said there was a, basically a period of time, maybe from the late sixties through the late nineties or so where it was, there was like printing money out in the music business. But other than that, you know, before that, I know by, you know, communicating with the people that were in the bands in the sixties outside, and even the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, really, they had the same ridiculous royalty rate. And they uh, began of like one or two pennies, two cents or a record. And, you know, you guys split that up four or five ways. And uh, so, you know, how many records you got to sell. And that was the industry standard they really didn't start making a lot of money until uh, they started their own label. Both of them started their own label, Apple Records and Rolling Stones. So uh, that's when they, of course, they ended up being, you know, fabulously wealthy. But most of the groups didn't do that way. I talk about the Dave Clark Five, which was uh, the second most successful band in the original British Invasion. They've been largely forgotten. Dave Clark did really well. And he's, you know, somehow he was an anomaly. Apparently he knew how to negotiate, but the rest of the band didn't. And I go over a couple of the sad stories there and the, the, the very meager estates they left. And um, again, these, these people sold millions of records, but a lot of the ones I talked to, like I said, they didn't see any royalties. And some of them were, you know, Freddie and the Dreamers had a couple of huge hits. And, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the guys was driving a taxi a few years later. Right. You know, that's, that's incredible. It's incredible yeah. stuff, and you. I think you quoted Alan Klein, who was, I think he was the head. With the, he was the biggest bastard in the valley. All those guys yeah. sold a lot of records, thought they had money, they didn't end up with it, right? Yeah, and Alan Klein was responsible for uh, stealing. He's the reason, like uh, the Rolling Stones, made no money at all on the early hits, because Alan, Alan uh, Klein, you know, you, you, a lot of people. I mean, in average walks of life, we don't read the fine print in every contract. And uh, those guys, those kids, even the Rolling Stones, uh, they were so happy to have a manager, happy to have a contract, and they're trusting, basically. And uh, so he stole them blind, and he, you know, he got the uh, rights to all that. And uh, later, John Lennon was, you know, brilliant, one of the most brilliant musicians ever, but he was, uh, he was snookered by him as well. And, you know, McCartney saw through him, but uh, the Alan Klein got his heels into the Beatles for a while, too. So that's just one guy, but a lot of these... Uh, cases are some most of the time it's the record companies but uh sometimes it was their managers and certainly the black performance uh, fared even worse and i talk about how you know virtually none of them got any especially like uh, morris levy who was the mobster that ran roulette records and uh tommy james and tommy james and the john Dell again sold millions of records 
talked about his experiences there and how uh, you know he they, they personally witnessed you know, him basically waving guns at black artists and you know saying if you if you want royalties talk to the king and queen of England and that was basically his his line and he wasn't the only one and um, so there's you know there's reason I talk about artists and uh, who was it uh, oh god I can't think of big country uh, Waylon Jennings I think it was Waylon was saying that it got his first royalty a couple of years ago. Maybe I may be mixing him up with somebody else. But again, how is that possible when you've been in the business 40, 50 years? So, uh, you know, we most people don't realize that. that uh, so when you go see these bands at shows, that's about the way to support them because I, I think that's where most of them have made whatever money they make is right. by touring. They certainly don't make it on their royalties uh, from record sales. No, it's 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 really bad. And some of those music that you listen to today, you think that you're listening and it, the benefit goes to the band, and it doesn't. Like I remember the early Aerosmith albums; they don't even own those. So a lot of these guys, yeah. like you're listening yeah. to music that somebody else owns. Paul Zanesson too. He was he ended up buying, I think, uh, the Lord of the Rings information too, right? With the money yeah. he made off of Credence. Yeah, well, that and that's you know, like uh, McCartney could not. He couldn't buy the Beatles catalog back. They own the Beatles, Michael ja and Michael Jackson got it. McCartney got Buddy Holly's catalog, still pretty, uh, pretty prolific. And McCartney's almost a billionaire, so he he did well. But um, that's kind of the uh, the way it is. I think was I think it was Al I think Alan Klein also got a hold of uh, Sam Cooke's catalog. Uh, and Sam Cooke again was one of the early artists who wrote most of his songs. So and he was the he, chief beneficiary when Sam Cooke died, right? Right, right. And so uh, under mysterious circumstances, you know. He was a genius. He was a he was a he was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. For yeah, it was incredible. I mean, there's so many of these guys. And uh, so it's it's, you know, some some do very well, obviously, but others uh, struggle. And you know, when you, so when you're talking when, like with you know, communicating with Graham Parker, it's just it's almost like talking to a peer. And, you know, I, I, I idolized this guy when I was young and. Uh, but you know, he never had any singles, you know, he sold a lot of albums because again, at that time when, when music was its most successful and they were making the most money, you had lots of people like him who didn't release singles. I mean, I, you know, for a while it was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't like anybody that released singles. That wasn't cool. You know, you listen to their album, listen to the LP and you had, you know, uh, stations, FM stations that played album cuts. They didn't play hit records. They didn't play top 40. And those guys made a lot of money, I thought. But I guess, you know, Graham Parker didn't make that much. And, of course, as time goes on, uh, you know, the 90s and the thousands, you know, you got to realize how, how do you keep that flow coming? So if you're if you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones are one thing, they're played all the time. But it's people don't realize now the streaming services, I didn't go to, into it very much. A couple of people like Danny O'Keefe. There's a friend of mine on Facebook who was uh, had the song "Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues" was a huge hit in the early '70s, but he's he's one of those album artists that I love. You know, very very good songwriter, great lyrics, and really quirky melodies. But I I, I love his music. But uh, he was telling me look into the streaming services, and I have, and that's why the uh, the recent uproar over Spotify is so hilarious because you know you realize how little Spotify pays its artists. You realize that's that, what I've heard. That, Oh, and so Neil Young, you know, for all the brouhaha and, and Joni Mitchell, who I love, I'm very disappointed she got into, you know, supporting censorship, but I, I've always loved her. 
but and she ought to be the last one to like the medical establishment because she had Morgellons disease, which they don't recognize as real. <clears throat> so she had that ought to tell her something. But um, how you know together, they're probably you know not making a hundred dollars a month. To be honest with you, right? They oh, pay right. them nothing. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Wow, nothing. Nothing. Wow. So they made a huge sacrifice. I mean, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. It's a bunch of like uh, peacocking, you know, strutting or something like that. And why would they even care what Joe Rogan said to a, to a doctor on his podcast too? Like, I'm it's the impulse, you know. The 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 woke left wants to wants to censor everything, and uh, uh, you know, people like Neil Young and and Joni Mitchell, especially who. Uh, Hasn't been well in recent years. They're, 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 I guess they're trying to regain relevance. They think this is a popular stance to take, and uh, it's it's a shame because uh, you know they were they were uh, great artists at one time, especially Johnny Mitchell. And uh, but you know it is what it is, and uh, you know what, that's one of the saddest aspects of like today. And I, I was going to say like that uh, as far as. Uh, Television actors, especially, uh, they're obviously making out much better because if they're on any television show at all, they do get really great residuals for the most part. Whereas, you know, you go back in the 50s and 60s and even in the 70s, you get nothing. So for those people, it's much better. The business is, is much better than it was. But for music, it's the opposite. Because first of all, people don't, you know... <laughs> Music is the reason why those old artists are still relevant and why young people listen to people like that is because the music today is horrible for the most part. I mean, it just, if there's no, I mean, that music, the classic rock, and the, it's just much better. It just is by any, any kind of empirical standard. I understand taste is, you know, personal, but uh, it just is. And uh, so it's, uh, there's nothing there to replace that. And the bands that do exist, again, they don't, they don't get those huge recording contracts anywhere because you don't have people like me and my wife and people of my generation that bought a thousand albums each and bought a thousand LPs each and a bunch of cassettes and then a bunch of CDs, uh, went to tours of concerts, bought T-shirts and all that stuff. You don't have that now. You don't have the uh, – maybe people go to – they play it on Pandora for free or maybe they go to Spotify or something like that and pay iTunes but the artist gets almost nothing out of that, but they don't go really and buy their records anymore very often. So they're not, uh, and, and especially with the COVID, the pandemic, uh, they're not, uh, they're not draw drawing really huge audiences. My wife and I saw uh, a few years ago before COVID, we started going to concerts. again. We saw uh, people like Jackson Brown, Ringo Starr's band, um, at uh, a fairly big uh, arena, but it wasn't huge. It wasn't like the kind we would have seen back in the day. We go out to the uh, local hockey, you know, pro hockey rink or whatever, and they might draw 25,000, 30,000 fans. But uh, this is going to be a lot less. But there's a lot of them that play. We saw Don Henley of the Eagles, who's worth $350 million. So I'm not going to feel sorry for him. But it was a really – we saw him at the MGM Casino and a lot of these acts – Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey are the who played there. And I, I want to say maybe 500 people, maybe if it's full. So you know, consider these people were playing at 50,000, maybe 100,000 in big stadiums at the time. So uh, it's got to be a come down for them. Although, you know, their cases, they, none of them need money. But uh, no, it's, it reflects how the times have changed. They really have. 
And you go into kind of you talked about residuals, but you also talk about crime and corruption that's in show business. Can you cover a little bit of that? Yeah, well, that's you know, uh, <clears throat> I talked when I touched about the the organized crime aspect, and we see it in both the music industry and Hollywood. I talk about people like Eddie Mannix, who was uh, a basic mobster, who was Luigi Merrick's second in command at uh, MGM, and back in the day, and he covered up uh, the uh, little. Uh, incidents that Clark Gable and the other stars at MGM got into. He probably covered up the murder of Paul Byrne, who was Gene Harlow's uh, husband. I don't know if Gene Harlow killed him, but he didn't kill himself. They were, you know, the MGM studios were all there at the time, but that was, that was Eddie Mannix doing that. Uh, you had the certain mob uh, involved murders of uh, Thelma Todd, one of the most lovely young actresses at the time who, you know, was, beaten in the, you know, behind her, uh, the steering wheel of her car, and they claimed killed her. Like she beat herself to death on the steering wheel. <clears throat> but these, are, but these are the kind of nonsensical, and that's why it's again I draw the analogy to politics. You see the same kind of thing, and victims of the Clintons or JFK assassination type witnesses, where they shoot themselves two times in the head, Gary Webb style, that kind of stuff. That's what you see a lot of that in Hollywood. But Thelma, Thelma Todd, you know, it's like a lot of these. Stupid, frankly, uh, Hollywood starlets ran around with mobsters. I, again, we get into bullyocracy. They, you know, unfortunately, that that's what's attractive sometimes. And uh, but Johnny Roselli, you know, who's been connected to the JFK assassination, he had an affair with Donna Reed. I, mean, I, I was heartbroken when I heard that. I mean, you know, he's talking about loveliness on screen. You know, Mary Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but you know. So it's been around for a long time. But Eddie, Eddie Mannix, the reason I mentioned him, because you fast forward to the late 50s, and uh, George Reeves, you know, played Superman on the on the TV show, uh, supposedly kills himself, you know. They find him dead in the upstairs bedroom when his uh, girlfriend and other friends are downstairs. It's very strange circumstances. He just happened to be having an affair with Tony Mannix at the time, who was the wife of Eddie Mannix. Uh, if, you're, if you're, you know... If you're playing around with that kind of fire, you're going to get your fingers burned. I mean, he's, you know, uh, this was a genuine mobster. So there's no question in my mind that uh, Eddie Mannix had him killed. Again, they, they, we, our media doesn't have the guts to say that. They kind of dance around and Hollywood land the movie with Ben Affleck. Uh, did an okay job of uh, kind of hinting at it. But then in the end, they drew no conclusions. I mean, it's clear what the conclusion was. But. So you see the mob influence there, and in, in show business, I mean, in, in the music business, it goes back to the days when uh, Al, uh, Al Capone, uh, his men kidnapped Fats Waller, uh, kidnapped him, and took him to Al Capone's big birthday bash. Now they paid him well, so yeah, I, I guess maybe he was happy to be kidnapped, but he still was kidnapped, and you know, it went against his will. Uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, and lots of these other black artists grew up playing in the New Orleans houses that were, uh, you know, run by the mob. Uh, so the mob was everywhere. And of course, you, you know, you get to the 60s and you have uh, you have people like Morris Levy and Ermet Ergen and uh, Ergaton. I don't know how to pronounce that. The uh, you know, other big guy that uh, these guys, again, they're all they're It's all dominated by organized crime and there's right. uh, unfairness there. And uh, so it's. That's what people don't understand is that those big studios and a lot of the music companies are run like a mob. Yeah, yeah, that's it. absolutely. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah they do it. It is it's it is organized crime, and they're, they're run that way. And uh, it's you know when, when you see that, so it's not you know, the, all the deaths that I chronicle in there. 
They're really not surprising because, uh, you know, I think that, uh, for instance, just in the JFK assassination, you know, John Belushi, Freddie Prinze, Sal Mineo is another one. All three of them, uh, three of the very few, at least uh, publicly, who publicly expressed doubts about the JFK assassination that, uh, that we know anyhow. But um, so uh, there was another one you mentioned in the book, which a name I didn't know it was a woman. Maybe Lisa Howard, too, who died mysteriously, too. She was a JFK yeah. kind of truther. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, she's the one I think that they claim had an affair with Castro. And, uh, you know, it was supposedly going to be used to uh, be the go-between between JFK and Castro to try to uh, set up rapprochement with uh, Cuba, which, you know, makes laughable the assertions that people wanted Castro assassinated. But uh, yeah, she ended up dying, and she was an originally an actress. An actress, so she, if you can, in fact, I was watching an old sci-fi movie, one of those great ones from the fifties that I love. I can't remember which one with this title, but uh, I always look. I always look at IMDb afterwards to look at what happened in the cast, and to tell you the truth, that's where I got a lot of my information for the book. Because <laughs> I look, because I know that almost every old movie, I'm going to find some quirky thing that's going to interest me. somebody. Okay, that was their last movie, and they were only thirty years old. And, why i don't know or uh they died really young you know some actress will be 33 and die of a heart attack things you don't see you know really that often outside of uh outside of show business or maybe politics but um lisa howard was in that movie and she she started out actually as an actress and then she kind of gravitated to journalism and uh was really like a pathfinder before barbara walters or anything else where i think she oh and everything and and then uh dies seriously like others Look, another in the 60s, another some suspicious 60s death. Um, Don, we're at about 37 minutes. Do you mind taking a couple questions? Sure. Uh, I got one. Do you have an this is from Roberta Glass, True Crime Report. Does do you have an opinion on Fatty Arbuckle's criminal trials? No, I didn't cover that one because it's been covered so much in, uh, <clears throat> in other places. Um, you know, you, you hear lots of things that, you know, uh, Lots of strange things. I, I tend to believe that he was treated unfairly. Uh, I'm not sure what happened uh, to, and I, got, I can't believe I can't remember her name, uh, Virginia Rapp. Virginia Rapp, uh, the victim, certainly she died a horrible death. But, um, you know, that was also the Roaring Twenties, and uh, there was a lot. It was, it was not the 1960s, but it was very much like it. Drugs, especially just in Hollywood, not in America at large. But in Hollywood, uh, there are lots of drugs being used, lots of drinking, and lots of illicit sex. And what we know of Virginia Rapp, she, you know, she got around. Uh, now, you know, whether Fatty Arbuckle actually did what has been attributed to him, I don't know. Uh, I tend to think, you know, he didn't seem to have any kind of other incidents like that in his life. So I think it was an anomaly, and I, I think he probably, for whatever reason, uh, was. Uh, was made a, 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 an example of. I kind of tend to feel sorry for him, but I don't know. I'm not a real expert on it. Gotcha. And did you know much about Anthony Pelicano? No. Well, he's I, he was the private investigator, right? That uh, that was. Uh, that, oh, I think he's uh, he used to pop up in a lot of um, a lot of these cases. But he I, he was the kind of guy that he had been with the mafia, and I, I don't know. I kind of <laughs> kind of tended to think that he. Uh, might have still had some connections there. I didn't find him really that credible. But again, I'm not a real expert on him. But uh, just my my first impulse when somebody mentions his name would be to 
kind of go, well, you know, I think like National Enquirer or something. I, I don't think it really that credible. I heard when he got out of jail, there were a bunch of celebrities who gave him a bunch of manila envelopes so that he could get back on his feet. That's very uh, yeah, mob-like, mob yeah. but that's a whole other story. Yes. Um, you yeah. do, Sheila Ann asked about Bobby Fuller. You mentioned him in the book. Can you talk a little bit about him? Oh, absolutely. And I'm indebted to for that and for a lot of things uh, to uh, uh, Dave, the late, great Dave McGowan. This book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, about Laurel, uh, Laurel Canyon and the music scene back then. He goes into detail about it. But yeah, Bobby Fuller was a great young musician, very Buddy Holly like. And, uh, Buddy, and I'm sure most people, uh, even if they're younger, have probably heard the song I Fought the Law and the Law One. Great rock classic from the 60s. And uh, that was, you know, soaring up the charts at the time he was found dead. Found dead in a burned out car, gasoline poured down his throat. And I think they called it suicide. I mean, typical for the music business, but that, that kind of thing it doesn't happen outside politics or show business. But yeah, I think a lot of people have speculated that he uh, he was offed by the mob or he had some kind of mob you know, uh, connections there that got him. But yeah, certainly strange death. And, and one thing I reported that I, I still don't know what it means, but He's, his brother had been murdered years before, which, you know, I don't know. It just seemed strange to me. I don't know if it means anything or not, but I, I looked for those things and I mentioned them. But it's another strange death that isn't investigated by the police. And my understanding is that the relationship between the industry in uh, Los Angeles and the cops is a little bit too close. And that some people are way too friendly oh. with some other people. Well, yeah, and the the LAPD certainly uh, <clears throat> plays into it here because they, as we saw in, in so many things later, certainly in the the Robert F. Kennedy assassination. I mean, we we know what kind of work they generally do, so I think they uh, certainly will play ball. And I talked about the uh, the inexcusable treatment of Patricia Douglas. I have a long section on that. Who was a showgirl, aspiring actor, I guess, dancer, and aspiring actor who was raped uh, at one of these uh, big, uh, you know party get-togethers where she was the entertainment that you know kind of flitted around in skimpy outfits and entertainment. And she was raped by some bigwig that had connections to the studios and uh the studios just destroyed her. I have all the details in the book, but uh and you know she's she was like I think 30 some years old at the time and she never had sex again. She turned off the sex the rest of her life. I mean that's just horrible. But that's uh you know that's the kind of stuff that they could do at the in the power and of course the LAPD was always ready to play uh, to, to play ball these people, so they never invested. When when uh, you know when Paul Byrne, Gene Harlow's husband, was found dead, the LAPD didn't ask any questions about well, what about this? What about this? You know, why is uh, why is um, why why are MGM executives here at, at you know at the scene of the crime? They shouldn't be here. Why? What are they cleaning up or what? They never did that, but that's what the police have generally always done, isn't it? When uh, you know. A politician involved, or a big, uh, a big, uh, you know, a Hollywood figure. But I like that comment from the Love Don's books. Thank you, William. <laughs> Thank you. I do too. Where's the best place for people to get on on Bar of Fame? Don't. Well, you know, they can. I, I I tell them to look for the best deal. It is more expensive than I would like, but I have I have authors have nothing to do with that. Hopefully it'll drop in price, but look around for the best deal you can. Certainly there's Amazon, there's Barnes and Noble. The publisher itself is Bear Manor Media. Might be able to get a slightly better deal there, but I always tell people to look for the best deal. And I always tell them, 
you know, recommend it to your public library, have them buy it, and then you can check it out and read it. I get a sale either way. So, uh, you know, look for the best deal you can, but it's widely available. If you search for it, you can find it in a variety. Gotcha. And the best place to reach out to you is your website, right? Well, I have social I, media. Well, I have a, uh, I basically have a, a blog, donaldjeffries.news. And I also write regularly at uh, Substack, which is donaldjeffries.media. Uh, my email is authorjeffries at gmail.com. But I'm, I'm easy to contact. I'm on at, at Don Jeffries on Twitter. Very active. Well, I'm active on Facebook as much as I can be. They have a shadow ban on me. So well, I used to be very active. But whenever I post anything now, nobody sees it. So uh, I have a limited range there. And then, of course, I have my, my talk show, every show. And I protest is coming back. I'm no longer on Truth Frequency Radio. I'm going to be on uh, rockfin.com starting okay, tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, so uh, thank you. I'll put that in the show notes. Check out on Rockfin. And uh, thanks so much for your time. There's a lot more in the book. There's other stories about more tragedies, the reality behind the facade. So there's a lot more information in this very information-filled book. So go get it. Title of the book again is On Borrowed Fame, Money, Mysteries, and Corruption in the Entertainment World by Donald Jeffries. Thank you so much for your time, Don. Thank you, Wayne. All right, take care. Stay there. Thank you. All right, cool.